Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today we get to speak with Alex Jarbo. He is a short-term rental developer and manager. He was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. He served in the Marine Corps for four and a half years where he was stationed in Washington, D.C. as part of the Marine Corps Honor Guard. And thank you to him for his service, for sure. He left the Marine Corps at 22 years old to pursue his career as a real estate professional. He is the founder and CEO of Sargon Investments, and he has a goal of developing 650 cabins in the next three years. He holds an MBA with a concentration in real estate development and is currently finishing a doctorate in business with a concentration in leadership. He's the host of the YouTube channel, Alex Builds, where he teaches the ins and outs of short-term development and management. Welcome to the show, Alex. Oh, thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit about your journey because you went from military to real estate, which is probably not an unusual transition because you got to do something after the military and real estate seems to have actually some complementary skills. So what was that first step from those two professions into each other like? Yeah. So after after I decided, so I'm coming up at the last year of my enlistment, I just decided I didn't want to re-enlist. So I just dove into different categories of investing, whether it be like ju- just general business, real estate, stock market, crypto. Real estate really caught my eye just because of the control you can have over it. So I had originally joined a flipping mentorship and um, I had realized that the gentleman that ran that flipping mentorship, a lot of his long-term wealth was turned uh, like tied into short-term rentals. Um, this is back in 2015 and 16. So I got him on a call and I was like, Hey, I, I love, I've been hearing a lot, even at that time about short-term rentals and, and like forums and stuff. Can you help me choose a market? I'm sort of open to moving anywhere. And, um, so he helped me choose a market. He showed me his numbers as well, like what his rentals were actually doing. And it was, they were crazy. So the day I got out of the military, I moved to uh, Asheville, North Carolina, which is where I currently live and where all my properties are at. And I got my real estate license and then just I just started looking for a property and about six to eight months passed, couldn't find anything. And um, what I realized was everything was either way out of my budget uh, at that time or it, it wouldn't it, the properties that were in my budget would wouldn't have done well as a short term rental, maybe as a long term rental. But there wasn't necessarily anything unique about the property. So my very first real estate uh, project and my first real estate investment was a ground up development. It was an 800 square foot A-frame that we own to this day. And then one cabin turned into two, turned into two, turned into four, uh, brought on some investor capital. And uh, today we're developing $10 million worth of cabins, which is about 24, 26 right now. Amazing. How do you define a cabin? So kind of visually walk us through what do these properties look like? Yeah, so they're they're set in more rural settings, so about 15 to 25 minutes away from downtown. So like they're mainly in the mountains, but you can also think of them in the woods um, with the ones that don't have mountain views. And we like to focus on like themed type properties. So when I say themed, there's something unique about the structure. So A-frames, log cabins, cottages, chalets, we're playing around with tree houses, modern contemporary barn style communities, stuff like that. 
I want to come stay in a treehouse. I think that sounds absolutely fun. Yeah, an adult treehouse. Yeah, I love it. That that's what we're playing around with right now. I know. And you know, I guess you're only the only people you're excluding are the ones that are scared of heights, I guess. But everyone else, I mean, that just sounds like a blast. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They could stay at one of the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leave the treehouse for me. I'm not scared of heights. I, I love the idea. So you know, walk us through it because not everybody listening has a lot of experience in real estate, period, actually just real estate. But even if they have experience in real estate, maybe it's just traditional rentals. Tell us what a short-term rental is defined as and what sets it apart from other types of real estate investments. Yeah. So there's, um, so short-term rentals typically is defined as anything under a 30-day stay. It could be a nightly stay um, that you'll hear that a lot of lenders use that term nightly nightly rentals. So anything under 30 days is what's considered a short-term rental. And where do you advertise these short-term rentals? Because there's also been a lot of, especially in the recent years, um, first of all, short-term rentals spiked during the COVID yeah. pandemic because Absolutely. everybody was pretty much sick of their house, hopefully not sick of the people they live with, but, you know, so they would take their families and they would just try to get out of town somewhere isolated where they didn't have to worry and they could just still have a vacation, even if it wasn't around a lot of people. So I think especially remote ones, like the cabins you're describing seem ideal for that kind of a getaway. So where do you reach this audience? A lot of the platforms that I know of have had their own problems in the last few years. So give us the, you know, fill us in on how you market these. Yeah, so a big portion comes from Airbnb and VRBO, but I just like to look when I talk to students and stuff or people I'm teaching on this stuff, I like to just look at those as a marketing arm to your business, meaning that your your property or your business should not specifically live on a specific platform like Airbnb and VRBO. So we mainly market on Airbnb and VRBO. And then once the guest actually comes into our properties, we actually use a device called StayFi. And StayFi is a phenomenal tool in a company. It's a little disc that plugs into the back of the router. And what it does is it you can create a landing page for your guest uh, for the e- uh, for the Wi-Fi. So like they have to enter in their email address to get access to the Wi-Fi, similar if you're like at the airport, or if you're like a Starbucks or a coffee shop. Very similar thing. And then we remarket to the guest's after they stay with us, which after looking at Airbnb's rules and everything, there there isn't anything against taking the guests off of the platform after they've stayed with you. That's an amazing way to create a mailing list and repeat yep. clients because there's this always a certain element. And um, I should preface this by saying I'm heavily involved in the short-term vacation rental industry in Southern California, totally different market, awesome. but I have a lot of involvement. And what I have found is that, you know, some of your risk in short-term rentals is that uh, you can't always vet the the guests because they come through these platforms and there's very yeah. you know, limited screening you can do. So you can look at their past reviews and so on. Some of them don't have past reviews. So you're always taking a little bit of a risk, but when someone has already stayed with you and you know that they were a great guest once then there's a very good chance they're going to be great guests the second, third, and fourth, and fifth time. So I feel like you take some of that risk away when you have repeat business. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you have, like you said, you have more control over the guest in general, the, the entire guest experience. You can remarket to them and push them towards a specific website, like a direct booking site compared to just Airbnb and VRBO. You can save them a little money on fees. And on top of that, again, you just have more control over them. I want to say control, I just meant like the whole guest experience. So do you find yourself looking to reach out into different markets or do you love specializing in your market, becoming the expert, becoming the one that has the most market share and staying centralized where you are now? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of both. I think my goal my goal for my current market's about 50 to 75 properties. And then I do plan on venturing out nationally and also worldwide because there's some phenomenal international markets as well. The barrier to entry there is just finding good operators because I wouldn't be managing them myself if they were like overseas properties or something like that. But yeah, I, I love mountain markets, um, mountain markets. And when I say mountain markets, not necessarily like ski resorts, just like more like properties that have mountains, say like think like upstate New York or where I live or like maybe Colorado, places like that, where like there's mountains and there's things to do. They tend mountain markets tend to be a little bit less seasonal as well. So tell us about Sargon Investments. Yeah. So Sargon Investments is a uh, the investing arm of my company, my overall company. So like we um we're a short-term rental developer and manager where well, the properties that we develop, we don't sell them. There, there were um, we raise capital from investors, and we're essentially married to our investors for eight to ten years. That's usually how long our hold periods are. And um, Sargon Investments just came from a lot of people asking me questions about wanting to invest with me. So my first four properties, or my first three to four properties, I didn't have any partners in them. But then I started bringing on uh, friends' capital. So some friends wanted to do some business together, and then the Sargon Investments just came from me raising capital and doing these larger communities. Um, what I realized was the best use of my time was to develop these like themed six to 12 cabin communities. So we'll choose a theme, whether it be tree houses, A-frames, log cabins, whatever, and um, we'll build a community, like a cluster development to go like on 15 to 20 acres or something like that. So is most of your inventory or portfolio uh homes, cabins that you developed round up, or do you sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, it's a little mix of both. I don't manage any properties that I don't have an equity ownership in, but it's a little bit of both. There are some beautiful properties that have just come across my desk that like we just went under contract for seven beautiful cabins that are all clustered together that have room for future development. And it's a little mix of both. It was like, I won't discount a property if, if, if the numbers work. I just like to purchase a property that has some room for growth or for some room for development. And what do you see in the industry right now? There's a lot of news stories about different counties, cities. I haven't really seen it at the state level yet, but yeah. uh, the local municipalities are either putting in place lots of restrictions or getting really, um, I guess, just regulating. <laughs> I would say over-regulating, but what do you see in the industry? Is there anything to look out for? What do you think the future of the short-term rental industry is going to morph into or, or be, or what are the greatest challenges that it'll face? Yeah, what it's morphing into is, it's. I think it's going for circle where before Airbnb and VRBO, short-term rentals have been around forever. You just had to pick up a phone or call a real estate agent to book a short-term rental. So I think the evolution there is it going full circle where people are essentially establishing their own brands. And I feel like 10 years from now, the people, the, the big players in the short-term rental game are the people that are that focused on a brand and focus on a direct booking strategy. When it comes to regulations, I like to operate in markets. So like at this, where I live, the, Ash, uh, the city of Asheville, North Carolina actually doesn't allow for short-term rentals. Um, you can't even get a permit for them. So we operate within the county. So 15 to 25 minutes into downtown is what we operate at. And usually those rural markets are a little bit less strict on the short-term rentals. There are these pockets throughout the whole country within like wherever, whatever city you live in, there may be an hour or two away that short-term rentals have been around forever where they're a little bit, people are 
used to seeing short-term rentals in that market compared to like we don't we barely we rarely invest in metro markets so that, that's what i would say to that to the evolution and then just how to deal with short-term rental regulations is think of a think of a city where people like to vacation to in your area that like people like to take a w- weekend extended vacation and that's that's the market that will probably be a little bit more shielded from short-term rental regulations than say like a metro market and do you think that sticking to unincorporated county properties not only from regulatory, not just from regulatory as far as short-term rentals, but just in general, do you think it's easier to build and do construction and get approvals for permits when you're dealing with county planning offices as opposed to city? Yeah, for sure. I mean, from my experience, city's always been stricter. So that, and then it's just cheaper to develop land, like, uh, or purchase land when it's a little bit more rural. And people like that. Like you said, during COVID, like the need for short-term rentals exploded. And it wasn't our strategy initially, because we started before COVID and developing. But uh, what COVID did was it pushed people out of the metro markets into more rural markets, and they're more comfortable staying in that. So like our guest avatar essentially is the person that wants to stay in the woods, wants to stay in this beautiful property, but they don't mind driving in to the city to have that experience as well. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you talked at the beginning about having a mentor, not in short-term rentals. Your mentor was actually teaching people and taking them under, I believe it was a he, right, under his wing in the home property flipping, which is a whole different venture, right? That's where you buy a property, you add value to it by remodeling it or upgrading it or adding bedrooms or adding bathrooms and making it cosmetically beautiful. And then you resell it for a profit. But that was your mentor in that niche. But now you're the mentor, but you're a mentor in short-term rentals. That is what you teach. Tell us a little bit more about what that looks like. Yeah. Um, so I started actually in the BNB Formula community with Brian Page because um, that was the community I was originally a part of. So I do some part-time coaching, just like one or two hours a week in that community. And I absolutely love it. Um, what I recently did in the last six months was put together like a short-term rental development course. I essentially created the course that I wish I had when I started six years ago. Um, and I, if I would have had this course, I probably would have saved two, three hundred thousand dollars at this point because you don't you don't know what you don't know with real estate development. But I didn't want to push people towards something that I didn't know. And I, I've just I've I've made a fortune in short-term rental development and management with these unique properties. So I wanted to share that with everyone. And um, part of the stuff, part of stuff on the, in the course is also on my, my YouTube channel, which is completely free as well. So that YouTube channel is Alex Builds. Tell us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Alex Builds. Yeah, it's a little, it, yeah, it's a logo of a blue tree house. If people are having trouble finding it. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's the tree house. That's really, really fun. <laughs> Can't wait to stay in one of those tree houses. Got to get myself to North Carolina. So what will people find on your show? If they go to your YouTube channel, which is called Alex Builds, what are your episodes focused on? Yeah, it's, it's a mix of management, like short-term rental management tools. I recently started bringing my camera um, out to our sites and showing like just the process of developing a property from scratch, from from literally dirt to an A-frame essentially. And then I also go over short-term rental news. I'm a I'm a short-term rental writer for the Bigger Pockets blog. I'm one of the main people who who writes for their blog. So I go over some of the blog posts I write with uh, for them as well. So if somebody wants to get started in this world, they're like, this sounds so fun, so amazing. I love tree houses. What would you recommend <laughs> that they do? Should they go explore um, the ownership side? Should they first go into management and see if they like the world in general before they invest in it themselves and, and put their own? Yeah, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, that's a phenomenal question. I would say that you can jump into man. I would develop your own property 
or get your own property first and then play around with the management. If you don't like it, you can always push it off to a short-term rental manager. But yeah, you'll save a lot of money by just trying to do it yourself. And like, like my course talks about, like my YouTube channel talks about, there's a lot of tools out there that help you automate the process where like, it'll probably take 80 to 90% of the workload off of you. And so with everything that you have going on, which is, uh, let me tell you, your plate sounds pretty full. Mm-hmm. How do you keep, or do you not keep yourself sane? I, you know, we love to also chat and share ideas for a work. Absolutely. Um, not becoming workaholics and not, because it's really easy to be pulled in a hundred directions. And especially when you have a lot of balls in the air and people want you and need you and uh, call you up and, uh, or there's, you know, issues to address at work. But how do you keep yourself sane? Yeah, I mean, delegation is huge. And also just consistent focused work is huge. So like I set two to three hours aside every single day to just focus on my one to three most important tasks. And then just having a, a hard cutoff time, it's it's very important. Um, I, I had the privilege of shadowing uh, a really, really awesome person, Brian Page, who who um who I sort of look at as a mentor, but just a, a, a really good person. And what I realized, uh, so I, I visited him in his at his house and or not his house at his office uh, in his home city. And um, he has a hard cutoff time at like four four thirty. Like it doesn't matter what he's doing, he leaves the office at four four thirty. And he's built a very successful business. But he he you know like once four four thirty hits. He tries to get out of the office at four, but sometimes it like gets pushed to four thirty. But once he, it's not any later than four thirty. He's out of the house or out of the office. So I, I think that's key. As long as like there aren't some insane amount of things that had to happen that specific day, and it took me a long time to realize like you can push it off to the next day. Like it doesn't need to all be completed today, unless if you have this crazy launch or something that has to get completed today. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself get caught up in the fact that everything has to get done today, or I need to get as much as I can today and then just pass that on my bed at midnight or 1am. I did that for about five years and it's a, it's a recipe for burnout or very quickly a recipe for burnout. Yeah. Conceptually, isn't it so interesting that we, we, as humans, you know, we look at our day and our time and it's interesting that we need to sleep every night. So there's sort of this rhythm that's imposed on us, right? Like you couldn't say, I'm going to stay up for three days and then sleep for three days because our bodies don't work that way. We need to sleep at least, you know, once every 24 hours for a period of time. And it's so easy to then devote every waking hour to being on call, so to speak, or, you know, working on the business. But all of us understand that you can't do that for 24 hours in a row. So all of us inherently know that you have to put limits on the amount of time that you work every day, because we're, we're physically incapable of working for more than, I don't know, let's say, let's call it 12 or 14 hours would be sort of the max until your brain just turns off and you literally can't function. But what if instead of just relying on that body clock and our physicality, we did set other limits and we just said, look, my work day is six hours a day and that's it or eight hours a day. And that's absolutely it. And you just made yeah. it well, as immutable as like needing sleep every day. Right. Yeah. And what I love about that, and this is what I took from Brian is it sort of focus, it, it forces you to figure out, okay, I only have this much time to get my work done. I'm going to put the phone down and I'm going to put the Instagram down or put the social media down and actually work. And like, I only have this amount of time. And if I don't get it, if I don't need, if I don't get the work that I needed done today in this amount of time, even with focused work, how can I delegate some of the work that may not necessarily be the best use of my time as well? Absolutely. So for anyone that wants to check out your channel, um, check out your website, see how they can learn more from you. I know you mentor and coach quite a bit in this area. 
what are the best places for somebody um, to reach out to you? My YouTube channel is the easiest place um, just to check out what I'm doing. You can, you guys can also check me out on LinkedIn. If you guys are interested in the course that I put together, that's at my personal website, which is alexjarbo.com, A-L-E-X-J-A-R-B-O.com. And then there's a there's a button where you can sign up uh, for the free masterclass and then it'll take you through where to purchase the course and stuff. It sounds like a lot of fun. I think personally, I agree with you. Um, short-term rentals have been around for decades and decades and it wasn't really until recently that they went online and more of like a quote unquote sharing economy mode. Right. And that's now turned back to kind of classic. It's no longer like you're couch surfing, Airbnb, yeah. you go there, you book a place. There's even hotel industry companies that are jumping in and advertising their hotel rooms. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I've, I've said that too. Like you, it's, I, I don't like to say that I'm in like short-term rentals anymore. I like to say that I'm in hospitality because it's, it's, it's all morphing into one thing now yeah for sure future it's also the past so this is not a brand new industry that's what i love about in a successful industry for a long long time but it's becoming more accessible uh, to people that perhaps want to jump in and do something a little bit different almost all of us have at one point or another stayed in a hotel Uh, For anyone that's considering doing this kind of hospitality business as a venture, I recommend that next time you travel, rather than booking a hotel, you try booking a home through Airbnb or VRBO or any of these websites where you can find a great place to stay. Because as you start staying in them, you think to yourself, hmm, I love what this host did with their guest manual. I would do something different. Um, Or, oh, wasn't this great? This is, I would love to be a host and do the same thing for travelers coming to my hometown. So I highly encourage you, if you're looking for that next thing to do, you're not sure what your next venture is, consider the world of short-term rentals or vacation rentals, or um, as Alex says, maybe you wanna be in the hospitality business. And if so, check out Alex Jarbo's programs, Uh, check out his YouTube channel, Alex Bills, which sounds amazing. And from me to you, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. I've learned a lot and I know listeners have too. Oh, thank you so much, ma'am. Guess what, lifestyle solopreneurs? If you don't yet have an online business earning you enough passive income to live the life of your dreams, I'd like to suggest you consider trying out Kajabi. Kajabi is an all-in-one solution where you can create and teach online courses, publish a paid newsletter, launch a free or paid podcast, process payments, build one-on-one coaching portals for your clients, and much, much more. I personally use Kajabi to power numerous successful and profitable online businesses. Lifestyle solopreneurs, there's a free trial of Kajabi waiting for you at this link, www.kfreetrial.com. You can try Kajabi for free, no obligation, by going to www.kfreetrial.com. Again, kfreetrial.com, and that K stands for Kajabi. Starting an online business helped me break free from that corporate grind, and I hope it does the same for you. You have nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and see you next time.